Mountain, 67 Extension 636. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful week. You are listening to 94.1 KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley and KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. Stay tuned for Open Book. Welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I'm Amelia Gonzalez, wanting to thank all of you who gave generously in the spirit of celebrating our 60th anniversary. Muchísimas gracias. Today, we talk with the author of Building the Latino Future, Frank Carvajal, about his book, and we also learn about the film American Violet that will be opening on May 1st. So stay with us. Frank Carvajal is founder and president of Estiempo that provides coaching and leadership counseling for business entrepreneurs. He, along with Humberto Medina, has recently co-written the book that we're talking about today, entitled Building the Latino Future, Success Stories for the Next Generation. I start with asking him why this book and why now. I was inspired to write this book from a, a colleague, a friend of mine in a, a graduate program. He wrote a book on uh, successful black CEOs throughout uh, the country. He actually um, self-published his book, and in the journey of writing this book, I had told him that I was going to look into uh, getting a publisher to look at my book, and uh, his words were, good luck. So what the thought that I had was that in terms of the general perception of uh, Latinos across the U.S., it's unfortunate that uh, there are so many ne negative stereotypes. And living in Santa Clara in the Silicon Valley, I saw so many uh, local leaders that entrepreneurs, attorneys, investment bankers, and folks that uh, that are movers and shakers in our area in the Silicon Valley. And I felt since I was tied into, uh, at the time, it was in 2003 when the thought actually uh, was uh, coming to fruition, I I thought, you know, I could start interviewing local uh, leaders and uh, really tell their story in terms of uh, entrepreneurship. So my first interview uh, was with a gentleman by the name of Roberto Medrano, who uh, is mm -hmm. a co-founder of Hispanic Net. Hispanic Net has uh, folks that uh, support uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, and the other person that I interviewed initially was uh, Richard Lessa. He's actually the founder of Hispanic Net. He founded uh, Hispanic Net in 2001. So starting off uh, regionally in uh, the Bay Area, it actually uh, allowed me to open the doors to uh, interview some folks down in Los Angeles and across uh, from Los Angeles to the southwestern region. And when I first started this project, um, I thought, well, there aren't too many books that uh, really paint the positive picture of Latinos uh, in business or in academia. And, you know, those are important pillars. Of course, the most important pillar for Latinos, especially uh, first generation or uh, immigrants, is education. And uh, these are the things that I've learned from my, my parents. 
and with uh, these gentlemen like Roberto Medrano and Richard Lessa, that's what they support. They support uh, furthering the education of uh, Latinos and uh, striving to apply to top-tier programs uh, across the country. And I really was passionate at the time in writing uh, the book that I, I felt very confident to pitch it to uh, publishers. You also interviewed Bill Richardson, Henry Cisneros, Ray Suarez, that is no stranger to the air, to public radio. Describe the process in Who Made the Cut. What, what determined you having them in the book? That's a great question. Actually, initially I interviewed uh, 60 folks, and 11 of the 49 uh, didn't make the cut and the reason being is because one of the things that uh, the publisher was looking for is folks who are uh, pioneers trailblazers and there are some folks in there that are uh, in their 20s uh, two to be uh, exact one's Martin Curial as well as Susie Castillo who uh, was uh, crowned Miss USA in 2003 with their two unique stories they were um, folks that the publisher wanted to see in the book because of uh, the leadership qualities that they possess. And in terms of uh, the folks that I had mentioned, uh, like Ray Suarez and, and Edward James Olmos, as well as Governor Bill Richardson, they're pioneers in, in their particular industries. So one of the things in terms of the, the layout of the book, as, as I put in, in the book, is that these uh, folks represent uh, various industries, whether it's uh, media, business or entertainment and with those uh, individuals that were selected to represent uh, each particular uh, chapter as you can see in my book uh, it's building the latino future future is the acronym and the six uh, leadership principles that uh, that i came up with uh, on my own and the publisher felt that these particular individuals as i mentioned would uh, would fit perfectly it would be a great fit for uh, the stories that were to be shared with uh, the general public. And you divide the book and the stories in, uh, in the categories. Can you talk about the, uh, the principles? Yes. The first principle is uh, focus. The second is uh, unity. The third is tenacity. The fourth is unique. The fifth is resiliency. And the sixth is education. For example, in the first element in the first um, working principle is focus and with Edward James Olmos for example he describes his life in terms of uh, getting into the Hollywood industry as something that he had to distract himself from any type of noise in other words external factors that would detract him from uh, his career in, in, in the Hollywood industry and for example in Unity I plugged in Henry Cincinnatos because one of the things of Henry Cincinnatos is the former housing urban development under President Clinton. He also now is the CEO of American City Vista, now City View, which really works with the Latino community and building the Latino community in impoverished and disenfranchised communities. And with tenacity, I had mentioned earlier Dr. Richard Lessa. Dr. Richard Lessa is a person who's an incredible individual who had a 10% uh, chance of uh, survival. He, he beat cancer. He became a venture capitalist when there were very, very few venture capitalists uh, in not only in the Silicon Valley but in the U.S. And he really uh, describes his experience as 
his mom mentioning to him that he, he has to keep pushing the door until he's let in. And for Unique, I had plugged in uh, Susie Castillo because Susie Castillo, in terms of the Unique story on her side, is that she won uh, Miss America in 2003. She was crowned Miss America in 2003. And one of the things that she... F- focuses on is not the fact that it's external beauty but her education education is one of the things that she is most proud of resiliency i plugged in a gentleman by the name of luis restrepo who came from colombia to the u.s as an immigrant and he had to be the surrogate father to his uh his uh younger siblings because uh, his mother was a single parent working as a seamstress and working two jobs and for education, I put Dr. Uh, David Garcia. He's an individual who uh, is a philanthropist as well and gives back to education. And he feels that education is really what uh, propelled his career. An overall theme in the book is, well, a tremendous attention play to one's heritage. As I was reading that, and as someone who values my heritage as a Chicana, I'm yet reminded of playwright Lorraine Hansberry's words where she talks about debunking the myth that Negros, the term that was used back in her day, they generally don't walk around 24-7 saying, I'm a Negro. What do you think about that balance that we have to have? One of the things that I... I feel that um, that's important is to have the, f- the family support because I think that in terms of success and in terms of our success as, as Latinos, if we attain our graduate degree or go on for a doctorate or become very successful business folks or entrepreneurs or pol- politicians or educators, it's important to have that support uh, Primeramente from your parents. Your, your, your parents are the, are the key to, uh, to your drive to success. And one of the things that I had mentioned about in terms of, uh, Edward James almost in terms of distracting noise and distracting folks that, uh, are going to be as, as, um, the kids say nowadays, uh, player hating, uh, the, the, the person who's successful is, it, it's, it's, it's going to happen and I think that it's important for us as Latinos to, to really connect with other successful Latinos and, and, and really strive to work with, uh, the next generation of, uh, of youth and be, provide them with mentorship, provide them with, uh, inspiration and, and it's important for me as, as a person who wrote this book to be responsible to my community. I grew up in East San Jose and in East San Jose the crime rate as well as teen pregnancy and uh, gang involvement and drugs is, is very prevalent in, in, in my area to today. My parents still live there, and for me, it's important to connect, for example, to the Barnes & Noble and Eastridge Mall because I, I feel very responsible to give back, and I don't feel selfish about it. And I think, as Ken Blanchard notes, it's not thinking of... Uh, 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 less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less and I, I feel that as we become very successful in life it's not to uh, success isn't based on all of the money success is based on how many people you can mentor uh, just a few hours from here in Fresno we have the uh, huge discrepancy in income as well as uh, our educational system for that in so many ways is failing our youth let me ask you 
As you're talking about reaching our disenfranchised youth, you mentioned going to Barnes & Noble, and that might be just a figurative term, but are our disenfranchised youth even stepping into a Barnes & Noble? One of the things that we're, we're uh, challenged with and struggling with, of course, is the the economy and education, unfortunately, in the eyes of um, the the lobbyists or, or, or from the state's perspective, uh, public education isn't uh, the number one priority. And for me, it's important uh, to connect, uh, first of all, to my local community, uh, Eastside School District. I A couple of weeks ago, I spoke to um, a combination of uh, 500 uh, students to their parents' 500, so it was a, a thousand, and, and it was great to see this gymnasium in, in East San Jose Independence High School packed mm-hmm. with uh, with involvement. And I, of course, uh, delivered my spe- speech in Spanish. And one of the folks that I uh, connected with was the director of student services. And I think it's it's important for us uh, to be resourceful and understand. Who are the right people to connect with uh, within the school district? If it's not the superintendent, it, it would be the director of student services. The director of student services would be the conduit to uh, the community. And it's important to also ask the question, who are the community liaisons? Who are the people that are linked uh, directly to the family? Because in our culture, uh, it's important to uh, not, um, not be... Uh, uh, too in, uh, intrusive uh, initially. It's 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 important to build that relationship, and once uh, you know, as as a Latino, once we have the relationship built with with uh, with the parents, it's it's obvious that their number one uh, goal and dream for their child is to succeed in 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 school, and it's unfortunate that in the school systems uh, across the state in uh, public education, the dropout rate is so high that in uh, in Los Angeles it's close to 40 percent here in uh, in terms of Latinos and in, in terms of that demographic and in Santa Clara County it's uh, it's it's very prevalent so uh, Latinos drop out in junior high yeah high they drop out really, in really early it's re- it's really early and I think that it's important for uh, for us to uh, as as um, resourceful uh, Latinos to connect with uh, the foundations that are supportive of education as well as the directors in the public educational system that we could work with. And uh, my next uh, speaking engagement, I have one this Friday for uh, Piedmont High School in the Eastside School District, and it's to uh, talk to the Latino Commission. And the Latino Commission is comprised of parents that uh, are very supportive of their kids to succeed in, in, in school and in, in in high school to attain uh, higher than a 3.2 uh, grade point average, which is great. And I think that that uh, it, it starts with, with us, and it's, it's very important to uh, not forget where we come from and give back. You just heard a conversation with Frank Carvajal, and we've been talking about the book, Building the Latino Future, which he co-wrote with Humberto Medina. To find out more about the book and Frank Carvajal, you can go to estiempooneword.com. You're listening to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I'm Amelia Gonzalez. The United States has the world's largest prison population. Over 2 million people are in prison in this country. 
A high percentage of this prison population is there as a result of plea bargains. American Violet is a feature film that tells the astonishing story of a young 24-year-old woman who was charged as a drug dealer and resisted the pressure to plea bargain and decided to fight the system in Texas to prove her innocence. I was able to talk to the writer and producer of the film, Bill Haney, and he starts with talking about why he was compelled to tell the story of Regina Kelly, who in the film is named Dee Roberts. I guess I was drawn, on the one hand, to the extraordinary courage and character that this you know, single, uh, young, African-American mother, you know, very little to rely on, the courage that she had shown in fighting back against the um, criminal justice system that was had put her in such a horrific and unjust situation. And I, I just found her inspirational on the one hand, and I frankly found the fact that the you know, that the district attorney and police, not just in her town, but in towns like this across America, you know, were leaning, I mean, as part of you know, their interpretation of the war on drugs, self-declared war, they were leaning on um, vulnerable Americans, mm-hmm. to some extent, in all our names. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the film really did a good job in depicting the violence of raids. I mean, you know, when you read about it or hear about it, you don't see... Or, you know, it's not palpable to see the violent nature of the raids. The, you know, the notion of shock and awe that Donald Rumsfeld, you know, sort of self-aggrandizingly trumpeted really comes out of the language of the drug war. Mm-hmm. It, it is, you know, the standard policy for drug task forces. Um, up to and including, you know, it's a peculiar thing because a lot of this is highly supported by, um, you know, a right-wing parts of our country, and yet those are the very people who don't, who are concerned about the, the blue-helmeted helicopters coming, and the notion that the police are bringing these helicopters into playgrounds, right, um, right, where there were three- or four-year-olds being terrified, you know, is, is, you know, at least to me, utterly unseemly. Speaking about that, in telling this story, there are so many issues that come up as you look at the plight of this uh, young woman. What did you learn about the justice system in Texas? Well, look, you know, what I hope when people see our movie, that the first that they're going to find it entertaining, inspiring, engaging, dramatically compelling, that they'll, that they'll find themselves laughing and crying and having screened it for audiences across America in anticipation of our opening in the next couple of weeks, that seems to be the common experience. And the second thing I hope is that they will be compelled by the um, performances of this gifted cast of actors, and in particular of this extraordinary newcomer who's at the center of our picture. But it is true that I also hope that they will feel, that they will have a new sense of um, the cost of the drug war that's being waged in our name. And, uh, you know, the costs which include, you know, when Richard Nixon declared the war on drugs in 1971, America had 200,000 people in prison. One in a thousand American adults. Now, we have 2.4 million people in prison. Right. With 1,200% increase, we have more people in prison than any country in the world. We have 50% more people in prison than China. We have five times the global average. Mm-hmm. That either Americans are five times more criminal than the average citizens of Uganda and Taiwan and Azerbaijan, or we have a criminal justice system that in you know, in a series of ways, from a mandatory sentencing to for-profit prisons, 
has gone wildly out of control. You know, the other thing that you dealt with was in telling the story of this whole plea bargaining and how many people in prison. I mean, you just gave these uh, exorbitant amount of people that are in prison, over 2 million. But also you gave light to the whole idea of plea bargaining and how overused, if you will, it is. I think that, um, you know, there have been horrific consequences of the self-declared war on drugs. And one of them is that there's 2.3 million people in prison. And, um, and if you combine uh, people on probation, parole, or in prison, it's almost 8 million Americans. There's 13 million Americans who are now convicted felons. And some estimates suggest there's 60 million Americans, 60 million Americans who are a family member of a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very substantially because of the war on drugs and frankly very heavily for possession and very heavily for possession of marijuana mm-hmm. you know 900,000 arrests last year for simple possession of marijuana mm-hmm. it's so out of control that Zogby did a poll last September and almost 80% of Americans think the war on drugs is a farce and well more than half of the police chiefs in America think it is and one of the consequences of this self-declared war that took place you know, relatively shortly before Reagan came in and, you know, Ronald Reagan began, you know, he had that notion, right? The government, right. big government is bad. I need to cut it. And whether he was right or wrong, one of the consequences was that he cut back on the money for the courts mm-hmm. and the criminal justice system, including public defenders. So at the very same time that you get a 1,200% increase in the people going through the system, you get dramatic cutbacks in the people who can fairly and honorably adjudicate. And one consequence is, effectively assembly line justice, mm-hmm. where the government simply doesn't have the capacity to try people on the scale that they arrest them. So they create such horrific risks if you fight the government and lose that almost 95% of Americans take a plea, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're guilty or not. Mm-hmm. And in the backdrop of this film, when you're, when you're actually sharing telling the story of this tremendous injustice uh, by this one woman's story, you have the 2000 elections playing <laughs> in the background. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about the intention of that. Well, look, to, for me, and you know, I respect that people will feel this, see this differently, but for me, you're absolutely right that I am, and you perhaps can tell this, I'm outraged at the idea some of what's going on in our country and being done in our collective name. And on the other hand, I'm profoundly inspired by the example of this woman and countless others like her mm-hmm. who, you know, take their lives uh, in some significant way in their hands and find a way to kind of build something beautiful. Um, I mean, I just find her courage incredibly inspiring. And at a time when so many Americans are having their own problems, to see someone with the odds so stacked against them, who finds a way to build a better community for her children, um, and in a sense for all of us, I, I find, you know, um, I find really appealing. Um, the, uh, the 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 facts are that while this story is based on many stories and it is a dramatization, uh, Regina Kelly's case took place in November of 2000. At the very same time that Governor Bush and uh, Vice President Gore were in competition to be the next president, and in fact, some would say, you know, she was part of one of these sort of tough on crime roundups as a somebody up for election decides to demonstrate 
uh, his virility with voters by you know arresting a pile of um, vulnerable Americans. And so we put these clips about the Bush Gore presidency in for three reasons. The first is just to place this story in time and location. Mm-hmm. The second is that to us, um, it's profoundly ironic that at the very same time while running for president, Governor Bush is vehemently opposed to quotas for things like affirmative action for the disenfranchised. He's actually using quotas to create economic incentives to arrest people. So federal money, which is given to the state of Texas, which, by the way, if the United States has more people in prison than any country in the world, Texas has more people in prison than any state in America. Uh, federal money, which is allocated to, the, to Governor Bush, he is giving out to county-based drug task forces based on how many Americans they arrest and, and convict. So, mm-hmm. in fact, the local drug people have an incentive to go find people and arrest them and intimidate them into pleading guilty. Um, and finally, you know, I guess we found it slightly painful that at the very same time that um, George Bush is being handed an election that he didn't win. Right. You know, uh, by the U.S. Supreme Court, no less. <laughs> yeah, going after a woman for a crime she didn't do. Right. Yeah. My guest is Bill Haney, and we're talking about the film that he recently wrote and produced, American Violet. And I'll give you more information about the film opening in the Bay Area. Finally, Bill, I wanted to ask you, you have also founded Uncommon Productions with Tim Disney, and you tell a very compelling story, and you do such a great job. And I just wondered how hard it is to keep the director, the creator hat on and also find yourself in an advocate situation. Is that intentional or accidental? Um, well, first, thank you, Amelia. I guess that, you know, Tim and I make movies about stories that move us. You know, that, that for us is the sort of central governing principle to our storytelling things that we really actually find emotionally compelling, uplifting, frustrating, um, but in some small way kind of cast a little light into the human condition. Um, it is true that sometimes those have had, you know, we've ended up following in issues that have some political resonance, and then we get um, positioned as activists. And, you know, I guess I wear that proudly. I mean... Mm-hmm. My only reservation is that sometimes people think when they hear you're an activist and you're making a film that you're going to be trying to lecture them or it won't be much fun to watch or Mm. it's going to be a bit of, you know, it's vegetables that you have to have. Mm -hmm. And I I hope you didn't feel that way about this film. Oh, no, not at all. um, (laughs) My sense is audiences really have found it incredibly compelling and all the more compelling because it is rooted in authenticity. Um, So, frankly, I think I consider it a real privilege to get to to, um, tell stories that um, means something to me and seem to mean something to, you know, Americans across the country. And on that note, we should really talk about the cast because you have uh, amazing folks like Nicole Bahari, you have Michael O'Keefe, you have Alfred Woodard. I mean, you just have an amazing cast. Is there anything you want to add to talking about the film? Well, I think that um, one of the blessings of this kind of story um, is, and, and I personally, you know, there's nothing, I like light confection stories, but in, this is a story that has a lot of meat in it for a storyteller, and that allowed us to get some of America's finest actors to collaborate. You know, and since it's a small independent film, and it you know needed the um, 
care of the actors just like it needs the care of your listeners. You know, to make these kind of movies, we have to ask the actors to basically work for minimum wage. And mm. the fact that they found the story powerful enough and their parts powerful enough um, to get them to leave their families and come work for minimum wage with us um, was uplifting. And I think it plays in them. I think you can feel it in the movie. And, you can. You know, now in the next week we hand the story from the young woman who had the courage to fight the government, uh, you know, to us and from the actors and I to you and your audience. And, um, you know, we hope that they find it moving in the same way we have. And we should say that uh, Regina Kelly will be part of the Bay Area opening, right? Yes, she will. Yes, so that we will uh, look forward to that. Well, Bill Haney, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Cover to Cover Open Book on KPFA. Well, it was a real privilege, Amelia. Thank you so much for taking the time to have me. The voice of Bill Haney. And we've been talking about the film that he recently wrote and produced, American Violet. This film is based on true events that took place in a small Texas town where an innocent woman was caught in a drug bust and chose to fight her charges instead of plea bargaining. This film is opening in the Bay Area on May 1st. For more information about the film, American Violet, you can go to AmericanViolet.com. With Erica Bridgman at the controls, I've been your host, Amelia Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Bay Localize hosts Climate of Change on Thursday, April 23rd from 6 to 8.30 p.m. at the First Unitarian Church, 685 14th Street near the 12th Street BART Station in downtown Oakland. Change is upon us. Changing leadership, a changing economy, and a rapidly changing climate. Now is the time to shape that change toward positive solutions. There will be local food, youth performers, and inspiring leaders at the forefront of positive change. Connect with organizations working to build a more resilient, socially just Bay Area. Learn how global, federal, and state policies will impact local efforts and how you can get involved. There will be a $5 to $10 sliding scale entrance fee. Climate of Change is a benefit for Bay Localize and is wheelchair accessible. For more info, go to www.